Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. And Happy New Year morning, people. Welcome to 2022. Let's get the year started right by dropping a Cleveland Baseball Mornings podcast on the first day of the year. And you're probably thinking to yourself, Davey, what is there to talk about? You said you'd be back when there was something to talk about. We are really locked down in baseball right now. I mean, there is barely anything going on. The It feels like the owners and the uh, Players Association have barely talked for the most of December. Um, it seems like they've pushed everything off until 2022. So the things I wanted to talk about today is we did have some news. Uh, we may have a new owner. We may have a new owner on the Cleveland Guardians. It's still a little unclear. It's still, you know, unclear if the deal has officially been signed, if, uh, you know, the ink is dry on the contracts yet. But it sounds like we are getting a new minority owner on board with this team. And then I, I just wanted to talk about prospects because, uh, you know, in baseball, you know, I was, you know, I'm not going to do like New Year's resolutions for the Cleveland Guardians or anything like that. But with a new season starting, that means we're going to see new faces. So I'm going to give you my top five prospects that I'm excited to see make their major league debut in the 2022 season. So those are the things we're going to do today. You know, a quick episode, a fun episode, a light episode, because we're still waiting on Major League Baseball to figure this lockout out and to get our baseball season ready for, uh, you know, spring training. Uh, get ready for the start of the 2022 season. So let's get into it a little bit, and let's have some fun with this episode. Um, just a quick note on the lockout thing. I mean, the fact that they haven't talked at all in December really makes you feel like they think they can pound out every disagreement they have in January, right? They better start talking soon in January. Uh, they've got basically two months, really, to hammer out everything they need to hammer out so that spring training can basically start on time. It's going to fly by. So either they're very confident that they can hammer out these things, or they're very confident that a lockout impacting the start of the season won't impact their economics at all, right? It's not going to diminish baseball in the eyes of the viewers. They're not going to lose tons of money by not starting the season on time. So, uh, you know, as a fan, as someone who's clearly invested in baseball and enjoying baseball for, uh, you know, 162 games, uh, it's going to hurt me personally, but maybe the owners don't feel like a lockout uh, is going to hurt them where it hurts them the most, right? Financially, always financially. All right, so speaking of owners, the big news is David Blitzer has been identified as a new minority owner for the Cleveland Guardians. Now, a quick Google search will tell you that this guy invests in a lot of sports franchises. He is co-partner in, the terminology is a little different probably everywhere, but basically co-owner of the New Jersey Devils hockey team, of the Philadelphia 76ers basketball team, of two European soccer leagues, football clubs, of an esports team, and I think he was part uh, owner of a minor league baseball team as well. So he has been trying to break into Major League Baseball. 
this guy gets his money from having an investment firm being, you know, someone invested in companies and markets and um, basically, yeah, basically riding the market to becoming a billionaire. Um, he has investment partners that are sometimes worth more than him, but none of them have really been identified as joining this Guardian's purchase yet. Uh, this seems to be him on his own for now, but it doesn't seem like he does anything on his own, so I wouldn't be surprised if we start hearing some of these other names and about his investment group. They were trying to buy the New York Mets. They were in on the Mets until Steve Cohn came in and threw around ridiculous amounts of money. And so they clearly have had an interest in getting into baseball. So the opportunity to slowly work their way in as Guardians owners uh, seemed to be the next best fit for them. Uh, You know, these teams do not come up for sale very often. So when you can get a foot in the door, you got to get your foot in the door as a billionaire, I guess. I don't know how billionaires think or billionaires' problems, but it seems like if you want a chance to be a major league owner, you got to jump at any chance you can get. Now, the interesting thing will be, by becoming, by transitioning to the full majority owner of the Cleveland Guardians, does that affect his ownership in those other franchises? Would he have to sell his stakes in the New Jersey Devils in the Philadelphia 76ers to become a majority owner of a Major League Baseball team, or can he just keep building this profile? Uh, that's going to be something that'll be interesting to see over the next, as you know, the Dolans seem to lay it out, five, six, seven seasons as they transition his ownership from what's reported at 35% maybe right now to a majority stake in the team. So we'll see how that transitions. Now, those are all the things a quick Google search will tell you. And if you read a lot of the articles, which I tried to do, um, that's pretty much all you're going to get from the articles. I dug a little deeper. You know I love digging deeper when it comes to stats, when it comes to prospects, when it comes to players. So I dug a little deeper on our potential owner, David Blitzer. If you get on YouTube, you can find a lot of interviews. People love talking to this guy, and he's given a lot of interviews. I caught an interview. He just did an intermission of a New Jersey Devils hockey game, and they threw it up on YouTube. I caught an interview he did with the Wharton Business School, and that was really interesting. So I spent some time. I listened to things this guy has to say, And I'm going to break down for you a little bit of how that could impact the Cleveland Guardians and what you can expect from him as an owner. Now, the first thing I could tell you is from that interview he did, just an intermission of the hockey game, he knows the players in the franchise, and he likes long-term contracts. He was They had just signed their star player to a long-term contract. They just signed a free agent to a long-term contract. They had signed their star player to an eight-year contract, a guy they drafted, a guy they wanted to be a New Jersey Devil for the entire length of his career. They just signed him to an eight-year contract, and that's why they brought him on the broadcast to talk about it. Now, as a Cleveland Guardians fan, is there anybody that you would like to see signed to an eight-year contract? Is there anybody you would like to see be a Cleveland baseball player for the entire length of their career? I can think of a few names off the top of my head. Jose Ramirez, Shane Bieber. Yeah, that would be awesome if they could lock these guys up 
for the length of their career. Give out some long-term contracts. I mean, that's a huge plus when thinking of this guy as a new owner. And obviously, his money coming in, the money that we lost from Sherman and the money that he brings in uh, could go to not just signing free agents, but it could go to giving out long-term contracts and locking up players in Cleveland for a majority of their career. Now, will it be the crazy deals that Mike Trout got out in L.A. or uh, that they're giving out in San Diego to Fernando Tatis Jr.? I don't know if it'll reach that level, but but something like Jose Barrios just got with Toronto, and you've heard me talk about this before, uh, what the Twins just did with their star center fielder, Byron Buxton. Yeah, there are long-term contracts out there that make sense, and this guy seems to be someone who thinks those are positives. He was really excited about locking up this star hockey player for eight years. And he was running through guys in the minor league system in the AHL that he's excited about. So he's someone that pays attention to all the names in the franchise. And when it comes to baseball, that's a huge part of the game, knowing the prospects. We're about to talk about prospects here in a second. So uh, that is encouraging. Now, from the Wharton interview, the business school interview, obviously they talk a lot more generalities and they talk a lot more about the business side of things. Uh, But... I can tell you from that that he sees investing in a sports franchise as just an all-win situation for him, as an investor, as someone trying to make money. He was talking about how there's a little more risk in the European soccer leagues because they have relegation. If you're one of the bottom three teams in the league, you drop down to the minor leagues and three teams from the minor leagues basically come up. That's what happens in the European soccer leagues. He's like, we don't have that here. So there's really, it's it's a win-win situation as an owner. Like, you, your, your franchise is guaranteed to increase in value. How much value it will increase in, that we're not going to get into specifics, he said in the interview, but you're basically guaranteed to increase in value. And that's something that Dolans have seen. We've seen it. I mean, they bought the team for a couple hundred million, and now it's valued at over a billion dollars. So... Yeah, we've seen it. We've seen how these franchises grow in value. And, you know, no matter what the Dolans tell you, they're losing money every year, yada, yada. He sees this as owning a sports franchise in the United States of America. You're going to make money. So he's not worried about that. Um, From other interviews, he's very clearly interested in the brand of the team, the growth of that brand. And even about, they, I found an interview where he talked about globalization. And that is something interesting. Obviously, baseball is a very global game. Uh, the World Baseball Classic, the, the you know, Dominican Winter Leagues and all these Europe, uh, Latino Winter Leagues. Um, you know, baseball is an increasingly, the, the Korean Leagues and the Japanese Leagues, an increasingly global game. Now, the interesting thing is he was trying to buy the New York Mets. And you can see from a guy who's interested in brand and growth and globalization how a team in New York really sets him up to increase those things, to work in those markets. Does owning the Cleveland Guardians allow him to work on building this as a global brand, as building it as, you know, 
a huge brand in the game of baseball. There are some things he could probably pull on. This team has tons of history, right? And Clevelanders like to spread themselves out all over the globe. Um, you know, there are so many transplanted Clevelanders all around. Most of you, some of you listening to this podcast live completely different places than Cleveland, right? You're spread out all over the place. So yeah, uh, he might be able to find that reach. It's going to be a little bit tougher with the Cleveland franchise than it would have been the New York franchise. Obviously, we are a smaller market. We know that. We're a little bit of an underdog, but it's something you can work with. It's also one of the top TV markets with a terrible TV contract, right? We don't bring in the TV money that a New York or an LA does or a Chicago, but there is a huge, I mean, our ratings are huge for the TV market here in Cleveland. The Guardians games get incredible ratings. Uh, We have a great regional network here of fans. I'm talking, you know, Cleveland, Akron, Columbus is the minor league team. Could he try to increase the amount of awareness about the Cleveland Guardians as far down as Columbus? Can he build the brand that way? Uh, The minor league team is down there, so it seems like a logical place to try to grow. Make Columbus a Cleveland Guardians town. Would that be possible? You know, they're kind of split when it comes to football. Some Browns fans down there, some Bengals fans down there. Uh, I don't think they really care about the NBA too much down there, even though Cleveland has tried having preseason games in Columbus to try to, you know, get a little interest going down there. But could the Cleveland baseball team reach down there considering their minor league team is there? Um, so those are some of the things that are uh, in, in, of interest to him. Uh, He had interesting views on data and analytics. Frankly, they're views that align very closely with everything you've heard out of the Cleveland franchise and the things that the coaches do, uh, where they really take an interest. They know how to interpret the data and relay it to the players. And that was something that he talked about in the interview. You could have all these genius data guys and girls, but if they can't translate it to the players and the coaches, then what's the point? And that's something Cleveland already does. So it seems like his views on that align perfectly with what's going on already in our organization. He likes to put the best people in charge and let them do the things they do. That also sounds like something very much in line with the way the Dolans run things, right? Antonetti and Chernoff have pretty much been running this thing, it seems like, for a long time. Now, the question will be, with Blitzer coming in, does he think that Antonetti and Chernoff are the best people at what they do? Around baseball, a lot of people will tell you, yes, yes, they are. So it'll be interesting to see, is there someone that he brings in? Do they restructure? Right now, they're kind of structured as owner, president, general manager, and then Terry Francona as the manager of the team. Does that change at all with Blitzer coming in? Does he appoint a CEO or something like that? Does he does he move pieces around just a little bit to fit the way he's made things work in Philadelphia or New Jersey with the basketball and the hockey team. That'll be something interesting to see. But again, it seems like there's alignment there in the way he runs an organization and the way the Dolans have been running this organization. And then um, finally, one of the things that was interesting is that when he bought the New Jersey Devils, I caught this in an interview, he said that the team was in a huge debt problem. And basically the fans knew about it, the owner, the, the media knew about it, 
And it's what the city was talking about anytime they talked about the New Jersey Devils. They weren't talking about hockey. They were talking about how the team was in massive debt. Well, does that sound a little bit familiar? You know, when we talk about the Cleveland Guardians, how much time do we spend talking about the Dolan's money? Dolan's losing money, being able to sign people. Seems like it comes up a lot. So, uh, when he took over the Devils, he was aware of that, and he wasn't too worried about it. He knew the influx of cash he could bring with him would solve some of those problems, and that he could do things better. Well, it'll be interesting to see as he takes over the owner of the Cleveland Guardians, does that conversation start to go away, and we can get back to talking about actual baseball, and not talking about whether or not billionaires are making or losing money. So, It's an interesting situation he came into in New Jersey and now probably faces coming into the Cleveland Guardians franchise. So that is what I was able to learn about David Blitzer. I hope that paints a picture of a real person, a real owner, and not just a Wikipedia entry, right? That is a guy who clearly is very smart at what he does. Uh, really understands the economics of professional sports. I can tell you, he did say in his interview that he likes Rob Manford and the thing Rob, things Rob Manford are doing about baseball. And frankly, he's not concerned about the contraction of baseball fandom, about fans going away, about kids not playing the sport. He's aware of those things. But he was like, look, between base, Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, you had this many, like, I think he said like 80 million people coming through the turnstiles, plus the people watching on TV. Like the sport still has legs. This isn't like, you know, they mentioned in the interview how professional boxing at one time was like one of the biggest sports. And it clearly it has faded from the public view. He really doesn't see that happening with baseball yet. He thinks there's still a chance for Major League Baseball. He's clearly a fan of baseball and has been keeping an eye on it and the economics of it. And if he's investing in it, it tells you that he sees an opportunity here in Cleveland. So those are the things I was able to learn about David Blitzer. And frankly, from listening to these interviews, they're easy to find. Just literally go on YouTube, type David Blitzer. You'll find most of the interviews I found. Um... I'm a little more excited about this. I I understand a little bit more of the person coming. And hopefully from everything I've told you in the last few minutes, you now understand a little bit more about the person coming to eventually take over ownership of this baseball team, the baseball team that we love and we want only the best for. Uh, I think this guy seems like an all right choice as owner to take over as owner and kind of continue the growth of this team and this franchise. So that is what I was able to learn about David Blitzer. All right, second half of this podcast, let's talk about some prospects. Because, I mean, there's, there's literally nothing else to talk about. So what I decided to do today is these are the top five prospects that I am excited to see break through with the Cleveland Guardians this season make their major league debuts. These players, it feels like they're they're definitely going to be here or they are coming. They are on, you know, maybe they make a spot start. Maybe they're, uh, you know, called up because of an injury late in the season. It feels like these five guys are coming this season. And here's how I'm excited about them. There's kind of the order I'm excited about them. So number one 
He's been the number one prospect before. Right now, they've got him on MLB.com as number three. I'm talking about Nolan Jones. If he, it's time. It's time. We've been hearing about Nolan Jones. He's dealt with injuries. He's moved around at different positions. He's blocked by Jose Ramirez at third base. Whether it's in right field, maybe it's even at first base a little bit. You always feel like an athletic third baseman can handle first, first base, right? They can come across the diamond. Yeah, they'd have to work on the footwork a little bit of covering the bag and things like that. But you feel like if they can handle a hot corner, they could definitely handle first base. So, and Enola Jones is also 6'4", so it helps having someone huge over there at first base. Now, this isn't to take anything away from Bobby Bradley. So very excited about the growth of Bobby Bradley. But Nolan Jones has to break through with the Cleveland Guardians this season. It's got to happen. We got to see if his bat plays at the major league level. We got to see if there's power there at the major league level. We got to see who this guy is. This guy who we drafted in the second round of 2016 and we've been hearing about for so many seasons. We've got to see what he looks like on a Major League Baseball field. And I'm really excited for it. Anytime a top prospect finally breaks through, you got to be excited for it. And a guy that we built through our system. So Nolan Jones is the number one guy that I am excited to see make his Major League debut this season. Number two on my list is Gabriel Arias. Now, if you remember when we made the Clevenger trade, yes, we got, you know, Henches and we got Naylor and we got Cal Quantrill. We're the big, like, major league ready guys. But it always felt like Arius was the gem of that trade. He was going to have the highest ceiling of any of the guys in that trade. And he it feels like it's time. It's time for him to break through at the major league level. He played in 115 games at AAA last season. He had 436 at-bats. Uh, by the way, he slugged 454 at 284 batting average, uh, 348 on base percentage. So it sounds like he really handled AAA very well. And I feel like it's time. It's time. There's a lot of names in that mix right now for shortstop and second base. Right? There's a lot of names in that mix. Does someone like um, Ahmed Rosario find himself out in left field? What happens with Andres Jimenez? What happens with Ernie Clement and Yu Chang and Owen Miller, right? Those are all pieces that would have to kind of move around to make room for Gabriel Arias. Or does Arias just come into spring training and just take one of those spots? You know, does Clement or Owen Miller get optioned back down to Columbus to make room for Gabriel Arias. It feels like he is going to break through this season, and it could be to start the season, right? I mean, what else do you need him to do in AAA? Let's get him up here. If he's the gem of that Mike Clevenger trade, let's get him up here and get him Major League experience. There are a lot of names in the middle of the infield right now, but I'm really excited to see what Arias brings and I don't think you'll ever be able to fully evaluate the Clevenger trade until this guy reaches the major leagues and we see what we have in him. I mean, heck, if Quantrill, if Quantrill continues uh, in the direction he's heading, we may as well, we may have won that trade just based on that. But if Arias also can develop into a top level shortstop or second baseman, then that really puts the trade 
over the top in favor of the Guardians. All right, next on the list, Stephen Kwan. Now, Stephen Kwan is not a name we have talked about a lot. He's an outfielder. He was at AAA last season. And it feels like there's always a guy in the system that has slowly worked his way up. You don't really hear his name until suddenly he's at Columbus and you're like, man, we uh, there's an injury. We need an outfielder. And you'll look at the Columbus Clippers roster and you go, I mean, who's this guy? There's an outfielder. This is a guy we drafted? All right. He only hit 311 at AAA last year with a 398 on base percentage, a 505 slugging percentage. It's good for a 903 OPS. That's interesting. That's fascinating to me. In 100 and only 103 at bats at the AAA level. So he may not start the season on the roster, but at this point, we need outfielders. We need serious outfield help. So if he has a hot spring, he could do what Tyler Naquin did years ago and turn a hot spring into a really great season, rookie season, and break through with the club right away. So Stephen Kwan is a name that kind of snuck up on us, but I'm kind of excited. He's kind of the next outfielder up. I mean, Daniel Johnson has struggled. And, uh, you know, Oscar Mercado, it'll be interesting to see what he does coming back. But Quan can absolutely break through and steal at bats from those guys and leapfrog those guys in the organization. Um, you know, not many things are set in stone with this outfield, you know, now that Harold Ramirez is off the active roster. Um, so, uh, you still got Mercado and Zimmer and Miles Straw definitely locking down center field. Reyes always wants a little more playing time in the outfield. But of any of the outfielders coming up from the minor leagues, remember, Quan was added to the 40-man roster. So he's someone that we protected. So now that he's on the 40-man roster, it makes it very easy to add him to the major league roster if he has a really great spring training. So with his... Uh, you know, with his high average, high on base uh, skills, I'm very interested to see what Stephen Kwan could do. And he's young. He's 24 years old. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do uh, jumping up to the major league level. Could he be a surprise outfield, surprise outfielder that helps us? Someone where we don't have to go to the free agency market or the trade market. We've got this guy, this, you know, this guy sleeping down in the minor leagues that no one's thinking about. So it's exciting. It's interesting. We'll see what kind of spring training Quan can have, how many at-bats he gets kind of in major league games, in the early part of major league games, right? Not in the eighth or ninth inning in those cleanup spots. So the next name on my list, I'm going to cheat. Hey, it's my podcast. I'm going to cheat. Connor Pilkington or Peyton Battenfield. These are both guys that we acquired at the trade deadline. Connor Pilkington is the guy we got for Cesar Hernandez. Battenfield is one of the guys we got for Jordan Luplo. Uh, so both of these guys came to the Rubber Ducks, our double-A team, uh, at the trade deadline. And they were both pretty helpful in the Akron Rubber Ducks winning the double-A championship. So uh, there are other names at triple-A. There's other names added to the 40-man roster. Pilkington is on the 40-man roster. Battenfield isn't. I think it's because Pilkington had reached the point in the minors where we had to protect him in the Rule 5 draft. 
Abandonfield hadn't yet. That's why Pilkington was added to the 40-man roster. There are other names that are probably going to get starts before them. Right? Eli Morgan will continue to get an opportunity starting probably before them. Cody Morris is someone from AAA who's going to get opportunities before them. Tobias Myers, who's someone that we just uh, traded for with this whole 40-man roster shuffle, uh, might get an opportunity before him. But I think it happens often where a guy from AA makes that leap to the major leagues. And I don't know if Pilkington and Bannonfield are going to start at AA or if they're going to start at AAA. But it feels like one of those two guys is probably going to break through this season to the major league roster. You always end up using six, seven, eight starters in a season. And once, uh, you know, whatever, you, you hope for no injuries, right? But it's very rare when five guys take you from beginning to end of the season. So when those situations occur, whether it's a spot start or whether they actually end up coming up and being an important piece in the rotation towards the end of the season, do they end up in a bullpen situation to get them major league experience, uh, just like Sam Henches had to go through, just like uh, JC Mejia had to go through? Um, not that these guys are Henches and Mejia. Uh, they, they're, we don't know. Their potential is sky high. They both have been very good at the double A level. And I'm excited to see which one of them breaks through to the major league level first. Uh, it'll be exciting to see how those trades turn out. Cleveland is very good at winning these trades. I mean, if either of these guys, Pilkington or Banfield, turn into a third starter, a, a you know fourth starter on this team, it'll be a win. That trade will be a win. I mean, the fact that we gave up Cesar Hernandez and Jordan Luplo to get these guys. That could turn into a serious win if these become major league pitchers. Good, solid major league pitchers. So I'm excited to see which one of those guys will take that jump from AA all the way up to the majors. And then finally, to round things out, um, you know, diving back into this middle infield mess, uh, I went with Richie Palacios as my last guy that I'm excited to see make his Major League debut. There's other guys that are a little bit higher on the prospect list, like Brian Rocchio is a little bit higher on the prospect list, but he's also a lot younger. He's 20 years old. George Valera is only 21 years old. He's only played at AA. He has not played at AAA yet. So is there a chance that George Valera could, I mean, he's hitting really well in the Dominican Winter League, is there a chance that he comes into spring training and he's just mashing home runs and we can't resist? But he's only 21 years old. Um, same thing with Rokio. Rokio's 20 years old and also hasn't played above double-A. So Palacios is the guy who I think he's the right age um, to probably break through. He's 24 years old. He did play at triple-A last year. He got 113 at-bats. Uh, only had a 434 on base percentage, only hit 292, um, be an 850 OPS at AAA. So there's a guy, his problem is he doesn't really have a defined position. He's played some second base, he's played some outfield. That might actually increase his odds of making it onto the major league roster this season. Uh, the fact that he has some position flexibility here. Um, we're always looking for help in the outfield. We have a 
huge problem to solve in the outfield. And this could be a guy if Steven Kwan doesn't really hit at the major league level. If Naylor uh, isn't back from his injury yet, this could be a guy that could come in and make something work in the outfield. Uh, you know, if Valera needs a little more time at triple a, uh, to get experience there, Palacios is a guy that could come in and get you, get some at bats in the outfield, in the Cleveland outfield this season. And it's exciting. The guy's got obviously, uh, a on base percentage over 400. That's very exciting to come up to the major league level. I'm someone who loves to see guys on base. I love to see action on the base paths. I think it puts a ton of pressure on the pitcher. As much as we are all about the true outcomes, right? The strikeout or the home run. I'm someone who loves, I think baseball is much more fun when you start getting guys on base. It puts so much pressure on that pitcher, on that other team. You hammer away at them and you put rallies together. I think that is fun baseball. And Palacios is a guy that seems like he's fit for that kind of baseball. Uh, how many home runs? He only hit one home run in Columbus. Uh, he had six home runs at Double A. So you're not looking at a guy who's going to hit a lot of home runs. It's about speed. Uh, he had 20 stolen bases split between Double A AA and Triple A. So you're talking a speed guy here and an on-base guy and a guy who can get at bats or, or get hits um, and run up a decent average. So I'm excited. I'm excited about these prospects. I think. I wouldn't be shocked if four of these five, you know, the pitchers, you never know. There's a couple of pitchers at AAA ahead of them, but all the position players I named there, I would not be shocked if all four of them were in the starting lineup at some point this season. So that is who I am excited to see for the 2022 season. And that's going to wrap up our episode here. So I hope you enjoyed your New Year's Eve. I hope you're enjoying your New Year's Day. And when there is news again, when we finally have some baseball stuff to talk about, when the lockout ends or the blitzer deal becomes official and we get more details on that, or, you know, when we can finally start maybe signing free agents or making trades again, we will be here on Cleveland Baseball Mornings to talk about it. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com if there's a prospect that you are really excited about seeing. If it's someone I listed, if it's not someone I listed, tell me who you are excited to see maybe make their Major League debut in the 2022 season. We'll discuss it on the show, clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show, too. And we'll play it back on the air, and we'll discuss it. We'll discuss what you thought about the prospect, and uh, we'll respond to your thoughts live on the air. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Baseball Morning.